Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, I believe this is a goodly morning. I believe it is a very goodly morning indeed. It's a... Uh... It's lovely, isn't it, to have a, a nice, goodly morning on a Monday? It's not just about Arsenal. I think anyone who watched the Chelsea game, the, the goodliness of this morning would have been confirmed by that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And also, I won an Oscar last night, so I'm very happy this morning. Did it's you? Great. I hadn't yeah. checked. Yeah, checked. it was what great. Was it for? Uh, best supporting thing for a yoke, you know? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, a yeah, new yeah, category, yeah. new category. Okay. Wow, so well, I'm that's, the first winner. Congratulations. Thanks Where very you much. Put it? Uh, just on the shelf, you know. Few. Paperweight okay. kind of thing. Right. Cool. They're heavier than Could... you'd expect, these Oscars. I, I really wouldn't know. I mm. really wouldn't know. One day, one day, maybe you'll get there too. Uh, but let's talk about the Chelsea game just a little bit be- before we get on with the Arsenal stuff because uh, we were slightly inundated with uh, tweets from people uh, when all this was going down. I didn't see it live. I had to catch up on it later. And I was looking at Twitter and going, what the fuck is going on here? Um, and then watching it back, it's it's absolutely extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah. I was watching live and I... Were you laughing? I was. I Well, I was sort of in disbelief, really. I'd never seen anything like it. It's an amazing thing about football, isn't it, that you can be watching it for your whole life and still see something that you go, wow, mm. I have never seen anything quite like that. I've never My brother s- was there in oh. the Chelsea end texting me saying, what's going on? Because imagine <laughs> being in the crowd and like trying to decipher what's happening there. Um, and, of course, it was just this ludicrous thing where he put himself in this position where, having done that, he had to produce an astonishing performance Mm. in the shootout. And although he did make one save, he also let one (laughs) under his body. The Aguero one, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, in quite sort of pathetic fashion. But it's created an interesting Twitter dynamic because not only was hashtag Sarri out trending, uh, we also had hashtag Kepper out. Uh, so yes. there's, it's, there's both sides of the argument now. Absolutely. There was um, there was quite a few uh, uh, hashtag Sarri out and hashtag Kepa out at the same time. This one, for example, Sarri is not good for Chelsea. His style doesn't work. Hashtag Sarri out. Kepa, a waste of money. Worst keeper I've ever seen and disrespectful. Hashtag Kepa out. Breaks my heart to say, but something at Chelsea is broken. Hashtag fix Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> And like this one as well. There's another one. Fuck hashtag Sarri out. Get this scrawny little rat Kepa out. Fuck off out of the club. It's a fucking disgrace. Wow, I haven't been this angry about football for so fucking long. Wow, 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 wow. Hashtag Kepa out. Get him out. Fucking awful. Wow. 
some good ones. I, I, this one's just come in. This is from Mr Chelsea on Twitter. Sarri has lost all self-respect from his players. He and Kepa must go, including all the players that think they manage the team instead of the manager. That's get all of broom, them. <laughs> yeah. Get a broom through the club and sweep out the garbage. Hashtag Sarri out. Hashtag Kepa out. Hashtag Chelsea FC. Hashtag Chelsea out. Chelsea yeah. need to get rid of Chelsea. That's what they need to get rid of. Oh, amazing. What larks. And good for us, you know, because let's face it, you know, they are a competitor for the top four. And mm. if they are in some kind of disarray, any little thing that makes not our lives easier, but can perhaps nobble the opposition, then I'm absolutely all for it. So if, like, yeah. the Chelsea dressing room is a shambles, then great. I'm absolutely delighted with that. Same with, you know, Manchester United. I'm not wishing injury on players, but the fact that they picked up three or four injuries in the game against Liverpool uh, yesterday, okay, that's good for us. We still have to do what we have to do, but if it, if, if it creates maybe a, uh, a bit of wiggle room, because it might affect the form of the other teams, then I'm all on board for that. Yeah, I, I wasn't watching the United game, obviously, because I was at the Arsenal match, but uh, intermittently I've just sort of, you know, checked what was going on there. And it was kind of incredible. Players were just sort of going down every five minutes, it seemed It was like, like that game... Do you remember we played an FA Cup game a couple of seasons ago? I think we lost to someone like... Fuck, I can't remember who it was, but... I think it was a League One team or maybe a championship team. And within the first 15 minutes, we lost two players. Walcott, Noxley-Chamberlain, I think, got injured. That sounds about right. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember who it was, but it was one of those where players were just was going down. Blackburn or something like that? Perhaps. Perhaps. I can't remember. I've sort of tried to blank games like that out of my memory as much as possible. So. Uh, was it League so. Cup or FA Cup? I, ca I can't remember. But... Uh, it was that kind of a thing with the frequency of the injuries. Uh, but anyway, and yeah, go that on. would be good for us. I it suspect. would be, you know. Yeah. We've got United around the corner. They've got some. They've got a really tough fixture list at the moment as mm. well, especially factoring in that Champions League tie against PSG. Um, and if Chelsea have to play Willy Caballero, I, I'm going to say that's probably a good thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Look, I, I thought it was a, a good day on all counts, and of course. The United result kind of bumped Arsenal up into the top four as well, which yeah, is no bad thing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Final one on this. I've never been so sad to be a Chelsea fan in my life. Willie would have saved all five. Mark my words. <laughs> Hashtag Kepa out. Hashtag pray for Kepa. Hashtag Sarri out. <laughs> Hashtag Willie in. It sounds yeah. like <laughs> Chelsea need to get their Willie in. That's for sure. Uh, Wow. Oh, that's so great. I mean, if he's never been so sad in a, as a Chelsea fan in his life, he probably doesn't remember the 90s. He's probably quite a recent Chelsea fan, mm. I suspect. But then aren't they all? Yeah, well, there you go. There's your brother. Uh, he's yeah. going to have a go at you for no, that. But there. In fairness to him, he remembers the days of Gavin Peacock and John Spencer. Dave Besson. He suffered. Yes, exactly. Who was the Russian guy who used to wear the, the fucking tracksuit uh, pants in goal the whole time? Oh, not oh, oh, uh, Dimitri Karin. Yes. Yes, they've come a long yeah. way. In they've come a long way. <laughs> All right. Well, look, we are into the top four after a 2-0 win over Southampton. And in typical Arsenal style, there was bad and there was good. But I think there was a lot more good than bad. The bad came quite early in the game. And that was uh, Nathan Redmond going clean through on goal in the sixth minute. And I was like, how the fuck did that happen? And then I noticed the defending or not defending. It was Mustafi stepped up, you know, on the halfway line to try and play an offside. I really don't know what the fuck he was thinking. Um, he got turned. He got back, got turned in the box. 
Bernd Leno made what is, I suppose, an absolutely crucial save, uh, not least because it stopped us going 1-0 down, but within 60 seconds or less than that, we were ahead. Um, an amazing 60 seconds of football, not good for Southampton, but very good for us. Yeah, and, and I think Leno deserves a lot of credit, not just for that save, yeah. but for a few he made yesterday. I thought he was pretty important and Southampton despite being sort of largely inferior I mean I feel like we say this every game but despite being an <laughs> inferior team created a number of quite good chances uh, or, or at least we granted them a number of good chances but he was uh, up to everything yesterday so I thought he had a, a really good day and fortunately yeah I mean it was just a crazy 60 seconds where we might have been behind and then we were in front and uh what can you say? I mean, it's sort of the first goal in Premier League games is always so crucial, yeah. and the fact that we got it, I think, made the whole ninety minutes significantly more comfortable. Yeah, I mean, we did take off after we scored that goal. I think we really um, played very well, to be honest. And it wasn't yeah. a case. I think uh, you're right. I think Leno was probably our, our our standout player on the day. But you know, everybody else stuck in a good seven and a half, eight out of ten performance as well. So it wasn't a case that we were carrying anyone or this guy was miles mm. ahead of the rest. I think it was a really good team performance overall team performance and once we got that goal smart finish by Lacazette actually uh, Mkhitaryan I'm not sure it was necessarily a cross but he reacted no. very quickly to put that away um, and mm. after that I know Leno had to make a save uh, it was a good save and we, we got the ball away but in general I thought the way we played was really encouraging because we've ground out wins a lot this season and we've gone okay that's fine we haven't played particularly well but We've won, and that's the main thing. But there comes a point where you like to see a bit of performance uh, that goes along with the result. And I thought some of the combination play uh, yesterday was fantastic. Uh, you know, Ramsey uh, able to combine with uh, Iwobi, Mikatarian, Lacazette, I thought, held it up very well. Licksteiner was great down the right. How often have we said that? Probably never. Kolasinac, mm. absolutely brilliant down the left uh, in the final third, but also in the defensive third, I thought he had one of his strongest games uh, for us. Xhaka pulling the strings from midfield, you know, Torreira snapping around, doing everything. Xhaka, you know, I know he had that moment, but in general was really, really good. And I think it was, I'm not going to say it's a confirmation bias or anything like that, but when you play a team like that and you play with a back four and you have that extra man further forward up the pitch, it helps you control football matches much better than if you're playing with a back three, in my opinion. I know there are going to be times when we use a back three and that could very well be the case this weekend when we go to Tottenham for the North London Derby. But at home against a team like Southampton, you, you take the game to them and I think it paid off. Yeah, and I do think the system was part of that on the day. And I also think the the personnel combinations that we used were quite important. You know, we changed the team up uh, from the Barté game. We had Shaka and Torreira back alongside each other, which I think on its day has been our best central midfield partnership. Um, you had Kalasinac kind of reunited with the Wobi on the left. And I think Kalasinac to Wobi was the most frequent pass combination mm. on the day. A lot came down that side. And I also think there's a kind of natural balance to Lacazette and Ramsey because you've got a guy who's going to sort of take the ball with his back to goal, who can bring others into play and someone who is really about movement and running onto it. It strikes me that, you know, Lacazette and Ramsey feels a bit like a partnership and Ozil and Aubameyang feels a bit like a partnership. And I think being able to rotate with players of that quality between now and the end of the season, particularly when the fixtures come thick and fast like they do at the moment, mm. it's going to be really important. Yeah, I noticed you tweeting about the team when it came out and maybe wondering if the the Ozil on the bench thing was going to become 
an issue or something that yeah. people were going to get stressed out about. But, uh, you know, I think we spoke about it on Friday, didn't we? Or Thursday night, whenever we did the last one. Didn't necessarily expect Ozil to start this one because when you haven't played for, whatever, three weeks and you come back and you do 90 minutes, I know it was just against Bate, but it always felt to me like this was the kind of game he was going to rotate him for. And when you think about this week and what we're going to do, you know, I don't think it was anything... I think it was more physical than tactical. Um mm in terms of yesterday, but also we've got a game on Wednesday where you would see Ozil as a potential starter, whereas Tottenham away, I don't necessarily see him as uh, an automatic starter for that game. So to balance his team and to keep players fresh, you know, Ramsey started uh, yesterday. I think Ozil will start on uh, Wednesday. I think Ramsey will probably get a start or should get a start in the North London Derby on, on Saturday because he's the kind of player who can who can counteract the uh, the physical and the, um, what's the word I'm looking for, the, the energy that Tottenham have when they play. I think Ramsey's a good counterbalance to that, you know, in the team. So, you know, for me, no issue. And it, it turned out well. And when he came on, I thought he got into the game quite well, Ozil. He doesn't always do that as a substitute. But it was nice that a decision didn't become a big thing or there was a lot of fuss about it. It was just, okay, we do it. And the result, of course, is a big part of that. Yeah, and I also thought that when you looked at our bench for this game, it gave you quite a lot of comfort, and that hasn't always been yeah. the case this season. But, you know, I'm just trying to think now, what was our substitutes bench? It was... Koscielny, Monreal, Ozil, Aubameyang, Suarez, who else? Genduzi. Genduzi. And Czech. I mean, that is a really strong subs bench. You know, none of those players really would look particularly out of place in a starting eleven. so... I thought that I think that obviously speaks to the fact that we're kind of over the worst of our our injury problems with only really the long term absentees. Uh, Touchwood, yeah, absolutely. Um, only the long term absentees still missing, but I think that you know that does give you a position of strength. And you know, looking forward to Bournemouth on Wednesday. I'm sure, and we've got a question coming up about this later, but I'm sure there'll be more changes. But it, I don't think we're necessarily weakening the team. At, you know, by mm. shifting a couple of players in and out, we're just sort of shifting the dynamic slightly. Yeah. But the the chemistry was good uh, yesterday, and when you do rotate, you know, I think you always take a slight risk with affecting the balance, or you never quite know if the shape of the team's going to be right. But it it really looked good, uh, and I think against Barte, you know, we put goals past them, but at times it was a bit workmanlike, mm. um, and the goals came from set pieces and things like that. But this. This was a really, I thought, good attacking display, particularly in the first half. I think it was the best we've looked going forward for yeah. quite some time, certainly since the, uh, the first half of that Chelsea game. Yeah, completely agree. And I think the, your, your point about the rotation uh, goes some way to explain that there's a certain amount of freshness to the team. You know, there were six mm-hmm. changes from the team that beat Bate. You know, Kolasinac in, Torreira in, Ramsey in, Lacazette in... Uh, Socrates uh, and Leno obviously and in goal but yeah. but you know when you look at the second goal and the fact that Lacazette is harrying and chasing and pressing and you know uh, forcing a mistake from the from the goalkeeper really I, I know the, the defender almost got caught in the ball keeper should make a better clearance than that but you know it came from that kind of high pressing that we haven't seen an awful lot of uh, at times yeah. this season something we've we've been told this is what we're about but we don't see it that often and the evidence of how it works w- was there with that second goal the key, the clearance came to Iwobi Iwobi across to Mkhitaryan I thought the finish from Mkhitaryan was absolutely excellent 
controlled yeah. first time into the bottom corner, just use the, the pace of the ball rather than trying to blast it himself. Uh, so a good goal and, and nice to see the two wide men combine. You know, Iwobi uh, has had his ups and downs this season, but he looked looked yesterday and has looked to me over the last couple of weeks like a player who is beginning to feel a bit more confident. And I, I see elements of Oxley chamberlain in him in a way, in that mm-hmm. he, he feels like a confidence player uh, and and needs to be feeling confident in order to, to produce. Um, so if he is, you know, on that kind of upward trajectory, then that's a good thing for us because, you know, end product is the thing that people will talk about when it comes to Alex Iwobi. And, you know, I, I think he gets a bit too much of a hard time, but I can understand some of the frustration at times. So when he has come out of a game and got himself an assist, you know, I think it's uh, it's good for him, obviously. Uh uh, and good, I hope, for uh, for fans who can see that he is a guy who can produce, uh, even if he does need to be a little bit more consistent at times. Yeah, he does. And I, and I feel like the end product side of his game, I think that may come, but it also may just be kind of who mm. he is, that he's more of a, a connector type than a someone who's sort of involved in the sort of last movement, the the, part, the assist or the goal. Yeah. But I, I still think for a 22-year-old player, he's doing uh, very well. I thought he was excellent in the first half yesterday maybe faded slightly in the second but I think Arsenal collectively you know we'll sure we'll get onto that sort of took the foot off the gas a bit mm. uh, but he's also 22 years old and I was looking at Manchester United squad last week and thinking about someone like Jesse Lingard who you know has has developed into a very useful player for them not starting every game but starting some and deployed tactically here and there and he's a, he's a, an academy product of theirs, but Jesse Lingard's twenty six. You know, he's four years older than Alex Awobi. Yeah. When he was when he was twenty two, he was on loan at Derby County in the Championship. So I do think there is still potentially quite a way to go in his development, and the fact that he's been playing in our first team for quite some time, I think, causes us to overlook that he's relatively early on still, and, and could have a whole kind of second phase of his development. You know, like Lingard has. So. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Different players, of course, but I think it's interesting. Contest. Yeah, true, true. And also, you know, we, we don't need any reminding about what a pain in the neck uh, Lingard is. Um, mm. So, yeah, no, I mean, that was good. I mean, do you have any regrets about the, the first half in terms of um, the amount of goals that we probably should have scored as opposed to wow. the amount of goals that we did? I know goal difference could be a factor. Lacazette, um, there's a brilliant picture, isn't there? Have you seen the picture of Ramsey and and Lacazette? Ramsey's sort of picking Lacazette up and he's got his, like, he's like, no, I can't believe I missed that. And Ramsey's like, oh, I can't believe you missed that either. Um, like, they both had really terrible news. But, you know, we, we should have scored more goals in that half. Are we nitpicking to be critical of that um, based on how we played uh, in that first half? or Or is it something that... We should um, we should focus on a little bit. I mean, it feels to me a little bit light nitpicking because we did play very well. We kept a clean sheet. We won. We got three points. There were encouraging signs from the performance. But, you know, based on the amount of chances we created and the quality of some of those chances, you know, we probably should have uh, made Southampton pay. I think we probably should have done. I'm just looking at the goal difference now. It's very tight, but we mm. are actually ahead of both United and Chelsea on goal difference by... Uh, one and two goals respectively I think it could be a factor so I guess there's a little bit of regret there especially when you think about that Lacazette chance I mean how that managed to go over the bar I don't quite know Amazing. it's one of those where yeah, yeah go on well it's one of those where actually at the point it goes over the bar 
it's only fractionally over, but because it's still rising, it kind of looks much worse than it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, he should still score. There's no debate about it. Absolutely. Absolutely, he should score that. Uh, great work from Kalasinac to set him up as well, though. I think it's yeah. worth pointing that out. And like I his- thought Go on. Kalasinac was really good yesterday. I mean, I was looking at his passing stats, which is sort of, he's infamous for delivering really poor passing numbers, but he completed uh, 63 of 73 passes yesterday, which is unusually high from him, and 19 of 22 in the attacking third. Right, which is that's really the most, good. The most of any player on the pitch. Um, well, it just shows ball- you, doesn't it, that like if he can improve that part of his game, then his overall game, his overall performance is going to be uh, significantly better. Yeah, I mean, ten ball recoveries as well, two blocks. I mean, he, uh, he has an outstanding match. Yeah, I think one of the things that I wrestle with is, you know, I think as an Arsenal fan, sometimes you see a player perform at that level, and you think, well they can do that so presumably they'll just do that every week now <laughs> and um, it doesn't always happen like that like even if you take Granite Xhaka I thought in this game uh, Xhaka was really good his distribution was excellent I thought he yeah. controlled the midfield I thought Southampton you know they tried to press him but uh, you know they, he, he escaped that press he was more mobile than we're used to seeing him I thought he was really smart uh, in how he turned and used the ball but he also managed to just give one away. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. on the edge of his own box. And, yeah. and I kind of feel like that is just who he is. I think this game is the perfect illustration that Shaka has always is always going to have that on his locker and we, and we can always kind of hope it'll be mm. ironed out. But I think that's probably unlikely. And the same with Kalasinac. Like he was great and I'd love to say, and that's what it'll be like going forward. But I think I need to see it more consistently before I can really get on board that track. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. So what, I mean, what did you make of the second half? Because Southampton made a double change. They yeah. changed their system. I think there's a natural inclination when you're 2-0 up, um, you know, you're you're going to get pressured a little bit by the opposition who are trying to find a way back into the game. Whatever change he made, uh, Hassan Hüttel, uh, it worked because we found it much more difficult to control the game I don't think we were really under any pressure, though. That's that's the thing. Even when they brought on Charlie Austin, who always scores against Arsenal, uh, you know, it didn't really make any difference to them from an attacking point of view. So mm. while we didn't pose as much of an attacking threat, I think there was something relatively pleasing about the way we were able to control and maintain the lead, albeit Xhaka <laughs> did his best to, to make it a little bit nervy with that terrible pass. Um, yeah. You know, I think the, there's something to be said for that. And we're not a team that keeps a lot of clean sheets. We know that. So the confidence we can derive from, from that, um, Leno played his part with a really good save late on, but beyond that, we weren't really... Uh, we weren't really threatened. And I think towards the end of the game as well, when Aubameyang came on, some better decision-making uh, and we would have extended that lead even further. I, I was really happy when Leno made that late save. That was a sort of real fist pump moment for me because mm. I was reminded a little bit of the, the Huddersfield match where we had looked kind of comfortable-ish and then not kept the clean sheet right at the end. Uh, and I think it was important that we did and I think it was good uh, that we did. I thought, by the way, a player we haven't mentioned is Socrates. I thought he was really good yeah. on, on the day. I, I, enjo- I enjoyed that bit where um, he gave out to, I think it was Aubameyang, because they had a bit of space down their right-hand side to get a cross in. Mm. And we got it clear, and you know, you could just see TV cameras just turn to him, and he's like, you know, giving us some real socks to Aubameyang. Um, yeah. So, yeah. 
Uh, 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 but, you know, I think he, I look at him and he's just, I mean, we've said it before, but he is just a centre-half through and through, isn't he? He's someone, yeah. you know, it, you'd never ask him to foot, fill in in another position because he is a pure central defender and he really loves his trade. And uh, I think, you know, I'm, I'm quite glad of his presence there. And any, any of our best defensive performances, I think, have tended to have him involved. So mm. it's good to see him back in the starting eleven. Um but yes, I, th- I was really happy to keep the clean sheet. I thought, to be honest, even though we took the foot off the gas in the second half, and I think part of that is down Southampton, I think inevitably we look at Arsenal and say, oh, well, they didn't play as well. But I think you have to also look at the opposition, and I think they adapted a little bit yeah. to what we were doing. I think they changed uh, their system, their shape, they got a centre-forward on. Um, and I think you know that was a, a big influence on the game. But I was never worried, I was never concerned, and I actually thought, we could have added a couple more. Sure. Um, there's that one where Aubameyang goes through and has a shot blocked. He might have laid it on for Torreira, potentially. I mean, I don't blame him taking the shot on, but uh, uh, I think there was another one where Kolasinac got in and just missed the pullback. It sort of screwed across goal. So there were a few chances to extend that lead. But all in all, I thought it was a really good performance. And to be honest, it, we haven't been able to say that that much recently so it was a lovely day in that respect yeah for sure for sure I mean we were looking for some green shoots I think we got them with that first half in particular and I think there were things about the second half that that were encouraging as well and also I suppose when you're 2-0 up and you're at home Mm. um, and you know you've got another game on Wednesday and you know as well you've got a, a North London derby on Saturday I suppose subconsciously at least you're not gonna spend the second half chasing around like a madman um, expending all that energy because you don't necessarily have to. You know, I know it would be nice to score more goals and and everything else, but I I suppose a a bit of um, common sense or game management, however you want to call it, in that regard, might have played a part in in the second half performance too. You know, we were 2-0 up. We didn't have to go running and chasing and and trying to to hunt down the opposition. We could, as much as possible, soak up the pressure, control the game, control possession when we, we had it, which I think we did quite well at times. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I thought there was a lot to like about yesterday. I know it was just Southampton, but also it was just Bate on Thursday night. And I think there was a big difference between the two performances there. Whether that speaks to more focus on the Premier League, maybe. Do you think that could maybe. be a factor? You know, when they look at a team, when they look at a game against Southampton, and they go, OK, well, yeah. This is going to be tough because they're scrapping for points to avoid relegation. They've beaten us already this season. You know, we know the top four is is the the, the first uh, target for this season against a game against Bate. You go, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll beat Maybe. Bate. I, I do think the Premier League is a really tough competition. And I think yeah. that... <sighs> I think that the gap, the financial gap that exists between the top six sides and the rest, I think has, in some people's minds, exaggerated uh, the idea of how easy these kind of fixtures are. Yeah. You know, like even a a team like Southampton, they've got a top coach, a really well-regarded coach who's got that team playing well. And I think the fact that, you know, I feel like I'm almost talking in cliches now because, you know, the fact that you can see Crystal Palace go to Man City and win and things like that, I think does speak volumes. And I'm not mm. <clears throat> I'm not saying this from a perspective of, like, the Premier League, the greatest brand in the world, anyone can beat anyone. But I do think sometimes I kind of see us expected to just turn up and roll over anyone who's not in the top six. And I think that that, 
is a little bit... Uh, I think that underestimates uh, some of the quality that these teams have. But I don't know, maybe I'm, a, maybe I'm alone in this, but I kind of feel like if you look at the Premier League now, as compared to when like the Invincibles you know, went unbeaten, uh, however many years ago that was ago, 10 or 15 years ago, I think that the smaller teams actually pose a greater threat at this stage than they did back then. Maybe, but I also think that in some ways what we did that season with the Invincibles and, and how good we were back then, we, um, we forget that a lot of the games were a real scrap in that season. And we, and we in drew that a hell of a lot of games. We drew 12 games, you know, mm. and when you look at some of the draws, uh, okay, let me just go through them here. Just going through, you know, we drew against Portsmouth, 1-1. We drew yeah. with Charlton, 1-1. We drew 0-0 with Fulham. We drew 1-1 with Leicester. We drew 1-1 with Bolton. You know, 1-1 one, one, one with Everton and even some of the wins, 1-0 against Southampton. Uh, uh, let me have another look here. 2-1 against Charlton. You know, when you say it out loud, Arsenal, the Invincibles versus Charlton, you're thinking, OK, well, that'd be nice and easy. And we scored in that game, if I'm right, we scored, uh, yeah, here it is, uh, two goals in the opening four minutes. Mm. And then Charlton got one back with half an hour to go. And it wasn't as comfortable as people like to remember. You know, so that's always been an element of the Premier League, I think. Um, well, I, I think maybe it's exaggerated now by the fact that our record against the top six is so poor that we almost feel yeah. obliged to beat everybody else. So it yeah, creates yeah, yeah. a kind of inherent pressure and expectation. But yeah, I don't think too many games uh, this season really have felt like uh, gimmies, you know, that we've just had to turn up and roll them over. Uh, and I think Southampton to be honest, did feel like that for a good portion of the game, probably about an hour of the game. Um, and I think that's credit to us, really, because I thought in the first 10 minutes, I was a bit like, oh, these guys might give us a problem. They were pressing really high. They had that chance that Leno saved. Yeah. But I think we made our quality tell, uh, and that was encouraging. You know, we've been looking for, as you say, green shoots, performances as well as results, and... Yesterday was a day when we delivered that. Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, I mean, we do have a game on Wednesday. Do you want to chat about that a bit now, or do you have a question about it? We could do it in part two. Or... We had a couple of people asking about questions about how we'd rotate and things like that, so maybe we'll, we'll save that for then, shall we? Okay, let's do that. We'll take a break here. Uh, come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter, at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. James, I will let you go first because you said you got questions about uh, the game on Wednesday. So... Fire ahead. Okay, uh, this question comes from Ashish Srivastava, and Ashish says, who would you rest for the Bournemouth game, keeping an eye on the derby at the weekend? Who would I rest? Well, I think we're going to play a different formation in the derby than we will against Bournemouth. I think Mm -hmm. we're probably going to play three centre-halves on Saturday. I think that's probably likely... Oh, yeah, away from home. I think we will. Um, so what would I do differently from the team that played uh, yesterday? Lichsteiner might be out because he is a back problem. So we'll have to wait and see what happens with yeah. him. Another... He didn't go down the tunnel yesterday. He just went and sat on the bench. So it can't have been too serious. Okay. Um, but yes, he did have some sort of issue, didn't he? And it will be... Uh, was also substituted with a, yeah. what looked like a calf problem. Yes. It looked, it looked like cramp at first, and then he tried to run it off but couldn't. So hopefully it is just cramp and uh, nothing nothing more serious than that because um, he is a, a, an important cog in the machine at this moment in time. But in terms of risking him tomorrow, no, Wednesday night, it might be sensible to just give him a week off because he's played a lot recently. I saw a tweet directed at me yesterday and it's like, why does Ozil or Iwobi never get rested? You know, uh, and it's a fair point. He's played a lot, Iwobi. So, uh, particularly in the last little while. So maybe he is a player who who could do with a bit of a rest. I Mm. think we'll see Ganduzi come back into the team. I think we'll see potentially if Iwobi is out, we might well see (gasps) Dennis Suarez. Unleash Suarez. Unleash the Suarez. Wow. Um, because I'm not sure who else we could play out there, really. You know, I think it's going to be um, Ozil in for Ramsey. Uh, I, I don't know what he's going to do in terms of his striker, uh, Lacazette or Aubameyang. I think it'll be just one, maybe Aubameyang, because it feels like he could do with a goal. He's four games without a goal now, and he's trying very hard, and not much is working, so we might see that. Um Will he rest Koscielny, stick with Mustafi and, and Socrates against a team like Bournemouth? I think he probably will. Maybe Monreal in, you know, to, add, in. to yeah. add some freshness on the left-hand side. But it's nice, actually, isn't it, that he does have options. He has actual genuine options, um, particularly as we look at the top end of the pitch when you've got Lacazette, Aubameyang, Ozil, Ramsey, Mkhitaryan, Iwobi, uh, all to choose from. Suarez also in the squad. You know, I think Suarez, why not? Give him a go, see what he's like. If it works, great. If it doesn't, you Hopefully know. you've got someone on the bench, you know, who can come on and mm. and change it if required. I think Gunduzi probably will come in on Wednesday, but I, I have this hunch that he might have a decent chance of starting Saturday as well, just for his his legs and his energy. And we know how much... Emery likes to to use him, um, but having had a rest of the weekend, yeah, I think he probably will come in. I would like you rest 
Kolasinac. I don't know what I'd do at right back. It really depends, doesn't it, on who's available in terms of Maitland-Niles and Lickstein. If Maitland-Niles is is on the way towards fitness, you'd think they would have Saturday as potentially a target for him because if we play three at the back, we're going to need wing-backs and he's yeah. probably the, the guy best suited. Well, I think he that. was sick, not injured. Right, So okay. that was the story from the weekend that he was ill. So, you know, unless he's got scurvy. Sure. They might be okay. keep him in cotton wool then, I don't know, until mm. Saturday. I don't, I'm not sure. But yeah, I think it'll be four at the back on Wednesday and three or five on, on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, um, here's a question from Joe. Joe, uh, at Joe Arsenal underscore, six changes from Thursday and yet it felt rather seamless, fielded strong teams in both matches. If we remain able to rotate in this way, how realistic is it that we could finish in the top four and win the Europa League? Wow. Uh, <laughs> the mood changes quick. It does. I, I think it is relatively realistic. I saw, you know, the people do those things where they kind of um, put up like percentage chances of teams finishing in mm. certain positions. And I believe probably partly because we're the incumbent at the moment, we're currently the favourite to make fourth, um, which feels surprising to me. It feels like a couple of weeks ago that did not feel the way things stood but but that things have moved and I guess the fixture list coming up will play its part in that I think it's probably quite unlikely that we do both simply because I kind of have always imagined that at one point or other we're going to have to focus um, that we're going to have to pick a path either it'll be yeah. picked for us because we'll go out of Europe or or the league will feel beyond us and we'll accommodate uh, It. what would happen if we get both? Nothing I suppose we just get more prize money yeah, but it would be a really feel-good end to the to the season, wouldn't it? You know, there's a lot oh, to yeah, be said about, you know, okay, you get the tangible trophy and you get the entry into the Champions League and the financial benefit of that. But what I think it would do as well is reinvigorate a fan base, which is feeling still a little bit flat. You know, we saw, uh, I saw a number of questions today about the atmosphere in the stadium and, and everything else, uh, which I can't speak to. I wasn't there. You were there. If you want to pass comment on it, you know, mm. uh, feel free. But, you know, I'm not sure how easy it is to answer questions about uh, the dynamic of 60,000 people inside a stadium because there are so many disparate um, opinions and people behave differently in, in stadiums. There is no one way that people behave. Um, but I do think that if something like that happened, if we were to win a European trophy and finish in the top four, it would generate a kind of excitement and belief in the squad and maybe a little bit of a connection between this squad and the manager and the fans, which isn't always as strong as it might be, you know? Um, So I think there's a, there's a, there'll be a real benefit from it from, from that point of view. I I think it's probably not realistic to do both, but Mm. if I had to put money on one, yeah, I think I probably fancy our chances of finishing in the top four more than winning the Europa League. Interesting. Yeah, I... Uh, that's an interesting one. I'm not sure. I find it hard to call. Do you have a preference? If I said to you, which would you prefer if it was just for one? Oh, it's so difficult, isn't it? Because I'd love to win a European trophy. I'd love for us to win a European trophy because we, we haven't won one in so long and, you know, everyone loves a final and everyone loves a trophy... Um, so I'd be sort of inclined to go along with that simply for that reason. But if you were to ask me what I think might be 
better in in terms of how the perception of the team is and what it might mean over 38 games to finish, you know, higher up the table than Manchester United or Chelsea, maybe even Tottenham, you know, if, if things start going sideways for them, then you could see big benefits to that as well. I, you know, it's it's difficult to choose. It's a real, yeah. it's a really Apparently difficult... there's more prize money at stake for top four. You know, you get more of the Champions League pot yeah. if you finish in the top four than if you win the Europa League, significantly more. Um, so it's really hard, actually, because, you know, on that side of things, you're like, well, that would give us more to invest in the squad. It might do more for our kind of credibility. But as a fan, you know, you don't want to turn down trophies. Yeah. Um, even if it is the Europa League. Hmm. Uh, speaking of Tottenham, who you mentioned just then, Jason Williams, who's at Williams Rights on Twitter, says, who should we root for on Wednesday? Because, of course, Tottenham play Chelsea on Wednesday. And he, he, lies out, he lays out the options as, A, Chelsea shudder to give us a better shot at overcoming Tottenham. B, Spurs vomits in mouth to hurt Chelsea's top four chances. C, a draw so they both drop points. Or D, a massive sinkhole to swallow Stamford Bridge. <laughs> I have a similar one here from Harry S, who's at Harry Herbert. Help me understand how to watch Chelsea and Tottenham this week. Who am I cheering for? A meteor strike or sudden onsetting continents among both starting 11s? Um, I think a draw probably is the, the one we want, isn't it? Because I can't... I know Chelsea are a closer competitor for the top four, but I cannot possibly sit here and say I want Tottenham to win a game and to beat Chelsea I just can't I can't do it nor can I say I want Chelsea to beat Tottenham because you know that would give them more points um so both teams dropping two points and perhaps reenacting one of the famous battles of World War 1 with sure. bayonets and mustard gas on the pitch would be you know, the icing on that particular cake. Remember a couple of seasons ago when Tottenham uh, were still more or less, they were still there thereabouts in terms of the title and they were chasing Leicester and then they imploded in that game where where they they just lost their minds and lost their discipline. So I'd like to see that, some some on-pitch violence and um, perhaps some red cards, a few injuries. Another another man you Liverpool wouldn't wouldn't go amiss, would it? A nil nil draw and a, a few injuries. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think that's uh, I think that's what we can. Uh, re- that's the best we can hope for, realistically. So I mean, of course, if if Spurs were to uh, lose and we were to beat Bournemouth, we would be four points off. And if we Somehow won the North London derby. We'd be just one point off. Mm. So, yeah, tantalising prospect. Yes, it is. It I'm is. not particularly realistic about it. If I'm, uh, you know, I don't think, uh, I don't think it's that likely yeah. that we could overhaul Spurs. But you know, well, you know, again, I think we saw some evidence of of their their. You know, their the spursiness, didn't we, in, in the weekend? And Pochettino's behaviour towards the referee was really, uh, really poor, mm-hmm. I thought. And if they're beginning to feel the pressure, as they normally do at some point in a season, you know, maybe we can turn the screw a little bit on them. You know, I, you know, a few weeks ago, if you'd said going into a North London derby, how are you feeling about this one? I'd have been like, not that confident. And I'm feeling a bit more confident now because of the way we played. Um 
yesterday. I know it's only Southampton, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but you know, follow it up with a good result against Bournemouth, and we go into that game with a little bit of momentum behind us. And you know, the old form going out the window in a derby is a cliche, but it's also true. So, who knows? Who knows? It would be good if they really did have a massive collapse, though, wouldn't it? It'd be massive. It would be great. It would be. Great. We could I go mean, through uh, the Pochettino out hashtag. Yes, I mean, I, <laughs> I, 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 look, look. If you said to me now, if you added a third element to that choice, uh, you know, f- finish, or, or if you made it a binary choice between you know win the Europa League or finish above Spurs and qualify for the Champions League that way. That, you know, I think I'm swinging towards the league then, mm. just for the joy of that. Yeah. But uh, we shall see. We shall see. Okay, here is a question from Ade Damola Akintola, who's Ade Demolisher. And he's just nice. a weightlifter. Oh, my God, he is. Wow. The man has got some arms. Uh, <laughs> he says, wow. what to make of the Munchie rumours? Does he seem like mm. a low-grade Sven when comparing the transfers made? And this, of course, is the uh, the story doing the rounds um, that Munchie is going to leave Roma and become our technical director or whatever he might become, reunite with Unai Emery, with whom he worked at Sevilla for, for a number of seasons, um, and add to the Spanifi- Spanishification Spanification? I don't know how you do it. Uh, of of the Arsenal footballing, uh, well, I was going to say ruling class, but the uh, the executives, you know, manager, technical director, head of football, would all be Spanish. So, what what do you make of the the idea of Manchi coming in? And I have to say, I've been told uh, that this is probably happening uh people within the club have been told that this could well be the case so you know it's not just rumors from from marca uh who everybody seemed a bit dismissive of uh i believe that there really is something to this story so what do you make of it well i think it's i think it's positive i think it's really positive i think you know having lost sven uh i think that monchi is a someone who holds a, a comparable reputation and who works in a similar fashion and who crucially has an excellent relationship with the head coach. You know, everyone harks back to the years of Dean and Wenger working in tandem and so much of that was based on the understanding and the relationship those two guys had. And if Emery and Monchi can, you know, kind of reprise what they had at Sevilla, I think that will be a good thing. In terms of the talent he's identified, I mean, there's, there are plenty of good players in there. You know, uh, Danny Alves, uh, Rakitic, Benega, Luis Fabiano, people who he plucked Julio from... Julio Baptista. Of course, you know, people who he plucked from relative um, obscurity and made kind of stars of. I suppose what might concern people is he was doing that at Sevilla, you know, and those stars were then sold on to Barcelona, but... I think that's realistically kind of where we are in the food chain mm-hmm. at the moment. Uh, I think we need someone with that skill set. Uh, I, I don't know, to be honest, I can't really speak to the quality of his work at Roma. I don't really know how he's been getting on there. Um, if only we had a handy tool at our disposal with which we sure. could find out. So let me see. He, they're currently fifth in Serie A, I know that much. Okay, uh, let's see. Uh, how is Manchi doing at Roma? I feel hmm. like you're just going to get a load of results about people. Uh... I remember Manchi, I mean, they sold Salah, didn't they, uh, to, to Liverpool? That's true. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's a little bit hit and miss. 
in terms of w- what he's done at Roma, but uh, he's he's clearly a a very well well respected guy. Um, lots of contacts. I suspect it will see us add to the Spanish. Um, mm. What's the word? Contingent. Contingent. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I think you know going back to his home country and looking for young Spanish players, I think we could well see uh, an increase in the number of Spanish players at the club. Um, But it's one of those where if you're you're looking at the candidates, potential candidates mentioned for the role of technical director or the replacement for Sven, he feels like the standout one to me who is available anyway. I'm not sure about Overmars. Um, and I think if we are committed to Unai Emery, which we seem to be, um, then having somebody who has a good relationship with him and knows what kind of players he likes to work with is probably a, is probably a good thing. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, he's got a great track record of bringing South American players to Europe and uh, mm. I think Raul Sanye has done a bit of that in his time at Barcelona too. Can't do that though. Not really going to be able to do that because of the work permit differences. You know, you don't have to. You don't have to have the the international caps to get a work permit in Spain um, if you come from South America in the same way that you do if you come to the UK. So true. But that, if we could get Wellington a exceptional talent visa, you know, yeah. I'm sure we could get a few others. Um, it seems to be quite a sort of random process doesn't it because like sometimes a player will sometimes a player won't get one you know Joel Campbell didn't get one I think famously and hence had to go on loan many many times Wellington Silva did and then never really amounted to anything what's he Um, doing now what's Wellington Silva doing now he plays for Barcelona. Is he he's yeah. their new striker. <laughs> he's disguised as yeah. uh, Lionel Messi. He's playing for. And what about the timing okay. of the Monchi move? Uh, uh, do you worry? I had a couple of questions I saw about this. Sorry, forgive me for for not knowing who asked them. But about you know, he, there's talk that he might not be available until the summer, until kind of June. Yeah. Uh, does that concern you? It's a little bit weird, isn't it? Because if it's a case that he's coming in and we want uh, him to have an input into our transfer business, I mean, he can't just come at the end of June or whenever his contract expires with Rome and just rock up and go, okay, what's the story here? What do we need? Oh, centre half, maybe two. And a right back, is it? Oh, and a left back and, you know, a winger. Okay, hang on a sec. I'll just, you know, nip out to the shops and get them. You know, there's got to be something a bit more um, strategic than that. I do wonder if it creates maybe a conflict of interest yeah, you know, of course. F- for him at, at Roma, that if he is contracted or if he's going to stay with Roma until the summer, how much planning are they going to put, uh, you know, a similar situation maybe with the January transfer window on Arsenal when every, everyone knew that Sven Mislintat was leaving. And I'm not saying Sven uh, wasn't professional and wouldn't have done a good job. But if a guy is leaving, do you... Do you not need to go in a slightly different direction in terms of how you recruit players? So, you know, is is Monchi's remit at Mocha, uh, at, Mocha, at Roma, um, I'm getting like coffee references here, um, surely part of his remit is to identify and recruit players for the club to bring in this summer. But if he's finding talented players and he's going to a different club, what what, what happens there? What's the temptation like? You know... 
can they put him on some kind of gardening leave? I don't know. It's a weird, a weird you situation. Feel like they would have to inevitably, and you sort of feel like consequently he'd kind of be able to informally start an advisory role at Arsenal pretty swiftly. But yeah. basically, as soon as this thing becomes a reality or something that is actually going to happen, it's kind of in the interest of everybody to make it happen very quickly. Um, there's no point in him hanging around at a club that he's leaving. And strategically, Arsenal need to get him in place as soon as possible. So if he is the guy, hopefully they can come to an arrangement really, really quickly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it does need to be sorted. Uh, you know, because last summer we did our incoming business very quickly. This summer there's a lot more going on in terms of players leaving and players who probably need to leave as well. So, you know, there's a lot of work to do at Arsenal this summer. So I do hope, you know... Um, I say I, I'm sure they know what they're doing. Uh, maybe that's maybe that sounds wildly optimistic, uh, given the way some decisions are made. But you know, if it's a case that they they're waiting till the summer to get the right man, then fair enough. So, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, but I do think he will have to have some kind of an input over the over the coming months. Um, because it, it just can't be a case that he turns up in July. Uh, you know, remember the the transfer window closes. Um, before the start of the season now. And Arsenal have got some, you know, we've got some travelling to do this summer as well. With it, we're going to America and everything else. So, uh, yeah, there will be a need to 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 get it all, uh, mm. even if it's unofficial, uh, to get things sorted as, as quickly as possible. I'm sure him and Unai could just WhatsApp each other, right? Yeah. Unai will be like, you know, I need a centre-half, and Monchi sends him three names, and Raul goes and gets them. That's- if only it was that straightforward, but... Yeah. Uh, I'd like to imagine. So, well, speaking of the things we need to do in the summer, uh, your friend of mine, the lovely Clive from the Arsenal Vision podcast at Clive PAFC, asks Have we found two fullbacks finally? Where? Like under the. I assume he means under in the- Bellerin and uh, Kalasinac. Well, I mean, we didn't find Bellerin. I mean, he's been there quite a long time. True. Does he mean Lichsteiner? Do you think he means Lichsteiner? I don't think so. But why why would he ask that question now when Bellerin's been out injured for a long time? We know Bellerin's there. Lichsteiner played well. Oh, Lichsteiner and Kolasinac. Yeah, I think that is what he means, looking at the replies to the question. Um... Mustafi as well played fullback yesterday, let's not forget. Yes, I've heard Clive advocating that. Um, and I spoke about that actually on the the, the Arscast a couple of weeks ago. Um, have we, you know, like you, I think there was an awful lot to like about Kolasinac yesterday, the way that he played. You know, I I think we can all see that when he gets into the final third, he's got quick feet for a big man. Um, surprisingly quick feet at times for for a big guy. Um, kind of he's good at anticipating in the final third as well you know he makes the runs but it positionally he's very good as well where the concerns have been about uh his defensive work and it's not really so much about uh the out and out defending i think it's the willingness and the ability to get back into defensive positions because he does spend so much of the game in the opposition half and in the opposition final third. So I thought that was really pleasing yesterday was the fact that he was back there doing the job. He made a great block um, on a shot 
in the second half from a fairly mm. dangerous position. I thought that was really good defending. You know, he was there or thereabouts um, when balls were dropping in the box. He hasn't always been quick to react in those situations. But it was just, I'm not going to say it's just one game. It's not like he's never defended well, but it's not been his his key attribute, has it? Which is a an unfortunate thing when you're being asked to play at left back. Uh, but I, I feel like it might have gone some way to convince Unai Emery that he is somebody who can play in a back four because he's been sort of reluctant to use him in a back four in the past, hasn't he? He's been more inclined to go with Monreal, who's a more natural uh, left back, more natural full back. Um, And Kolasinac seems better suited to to the wing back role, even though he has played a lot of football uh, as a full back. So... Have we found... I mean, Lichsteiner, you know... I still have concerns about Lichsteiner. Yeah, me too, of course. Look, he was great yesterday. He had a really good 45 uh, minutes. Was good until... what? When did he come off? After about an hour or something like that? 55 minutes, something? You know, he played pretty well, but, you know, we have to take that performance in the overall context of his his season, which hasn't been great. So, you know, he's, he's a very experienced player and will know as well as anybody that he hasn't quite been up to snuff this season. Um, If it's a case that he finds some form and his experience shows in this final part of the, of the campaign in the last couple of months, then great. That'd be fantastic. It doesn't really mean, I think that we've, we've found an answer to our problem at right back in the absence of Hector Bellerin. It just means we've found somebody who can come in and do a, a relatively competent job with Kolasinac. Let's see what he can do in the next game. Uh, at Bournemouth or whether it's Tottenham you know if we can if we can see him repeat that kind of defensive commitment then we do have um, you know more chance of of keeping clean sheets so Mm. I'm not sure we found all the solutions yet but it was encouraging to see what we saw yesterday yeah and and still not sold on the idea of Mustafi as a right back um I mean, I'm just sort of generally not sold on the idea of Mustafi, you know? Uh, yeah. So it's it's not so much that. I can see how he would do a job there because he is uh, he is physically able to do it in terms of his, uh, you know, stature and size and is, you know, he's quite energetic and, and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, in in the short term, I think it's something you can get away with, but not really for a prolonged period i think eventually the the truth will out when it comes to players being played out of position you know they get exposed oxlade chamberlain as a wing back for example you know he had some really good days and then some days where it was just a disaster um it's a little different from mustafi you know playing as a fullback he's played there before in in his career so look we do have a problem there we have a problem um because of Bellerin's injury and the best we can do is kind of muddle through and hope that we're not exposed too badly and if we can if we can get away with it by rotating depending on the opposition that might be the best way to go I think you know I've said all season long I think Arsenal need a a long-term left back Um, but if Kolasinac can perform at that level every time he plays or close to it maybe that ceases to be the case um you know, but there's that's a significant but, uh, and I think you know I, I, we need to see. Yeah, I think we need a left back anyway because I do kind of think that that Nacho is 
Did we extend his contract in the end? We have apparently taken up an option to extend him for another year. So I spoke about this last week, but, you know, I don't think we're going to buy in all the positions Think people think we're going to buy. Yeah. And left-back feels like one where maybe they'll cut their cloth a bit mm. if Kolasinac can keep up this kind of performance. If. 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 if, if. if. Well, speaking of summer spending, this was a... And a really interesting question, I thought, from Robbie, who's at Ello Breary on Twitter. And Robbie said, I'm proud of the fact that we have owners that don't invest their own money into squad building. In any other organisation, this would be considered a failing business. <laughs> so why is a self-sustainable model seen with such cynicism when it comes to football clubs? It is a really good point. The answer, the simple answer is that if everybody was operating on a self-sustainable model, Mm. then I don't think anybody would have any problem with it. You know, I think realistically, that's what should happen. You know, that's what FFP was supposed to do. It's turned out to be utterly toothless, uh, a joke, basically, because they've been unable to enforce it. But I think it should be the case that any organization, football club, business, whatever it is, you spend what you generate and you can earn more by being successful, you know? Um, And it does give some clubs an advantage uh, because they've got bigger stadia and, and what have you. But I think that would be the ideal way for football to be run. You know, I don't see any issue with that. Where the problem is, is that it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Money talks in football and the link between success, winning titles and money is is impossible to ignore. So the issue I have, and I've said this before, is that I don't... I find it annoying when our owners talk about how much they want Arsenal to uh, win things, win the Champions League, compete for the Premier League, and insist that this is the way that it's going to happen when you look at how success is achieved, particularly when you're a club who is trying to adjust your trajectory, right? Mm. So we're trying to, you know, we've, we've sort of, gone on a bit of a decline and maybe we're just slightly at the bottom of that little decline and we want to get back up again. We want to change the trajectory upwards and operating in this way makes it much more difficult to do that. You know? Uh, so that that's where it is for me. It's, uh, it's unfortunate. I think it's sad that football isn't run that way. But unless there's a real will on the part of the people who who run the game to make football clubs um, operate in a self-sustaining way. You spend what you earn or what you can afford to spend. Then we're just going to, we're going to, we're going to struggle to catch up and we're going to struggle to win things. So Maybe it's, you know, it's a bit idealistic or a bit utopian to think, yes, we're right. You know, there is no real moral high ground here, unfortunately. So that's kind of where I am with that. Uh, Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like there's a bit of a perception that the kind of self-sustaining model is a cronky imposition, but it's, 
is not something that's been in place for a long time, right? We, yeah, it just run, suits Cronky. It suits Cronky to not change it. Yeah. But I feel like this is, again, partly about the kind of communications vacuum that exists a little bit around Arsenal because when we did have the self-sustaining model when we built the new stadium and we had Arsene Wenger kind of extolling the virtues of that... I think people were generally more supportive. You know, as the listeners said, you know, it's kind of... There was something to be proud of potentially in that, but I think that has completely evaporated now. I think yeah. I don't feel like there are... It's so rare to hear an Arsenal fan saying what the question says, if you know I'm proud of that fact. But I feel like around 2006, when we were building a new stadium and had this young team... I genuinely believe that there were people who did feel that way. Was it, wasn't that in some ways um, a response to Chelsea and what we saw Chelsea doing and how distasteful everybody thought it was that a, a billionaire whose fortune is um, generated through questionable methods, mm. to be very diplomatic and probably sensibly diplomatic, you know, uh, everyone talking about... He, how much they they simply bought the title and and all that kind of stuff. I think it was a reaction to that because we hadn't really seen anything quite like it on that level. You know, there were if you think about Blackburn, what Blackburn did when they won the league, yeah, right. And Jack Walker financing big transfers like Alan Shearer and Chris Sutton and and all that. He put together a very expensively assembled squad for the time. The difference, I suppose, was that Jack Walker had grown up uh, a Blackburn fan. He was a Blackburn fan and he was investing in the team that he loved and supported his whole life. Whereas Roman Abramovich was using Chelsea for what? To satisfy his sporting ambitions or to to make sure he had a high profile in one of the biggest cities in the world, you know. Of course. You know, so I think that's where that came from. Um, that reaction was sort of uh, an antidote to what we saw uh, and I think can continue to see as something that's not great for the game in general. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think, but I think those things are still present and I think it's still possible to kind of position ourselves relatively to that I, I just I think there are a couple of things I think we've sort of grown tired of not winning <laughs> mm. which you know in 2006 we weren't you know in 2006 we'd come off the back of an invincible season we weren't as desperate for a Premier League title as we were as we are now um, and I also do think there is this this lack of communication that I do think is a problem I think if the club even with or without Stan Kroenke I think if they had like a sort of stated ethos an identity and almost like belief system that they adhered to, yeah. then I think fans could kind of buy into that or not. But it's just the sort of vagueness in the vacuum that I think is so problematic. Wow. Um, yeah. But it, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting discussion. I think you're right as well that football, because of the likes of Chelsea and Man City, you know, the landscape shifted so dramatically that if you realistically want to compete, you almost don't have a choice. Um, in terms of spending. And I think yeah. as well, the reason we react differently to Crunky about it is, you know, people never ex expected the Hillwoods to go out and buy Neymar because, you know, Arsenal's previous ownership didn't really have wealth on that scale. But 
Stan does and could and doesn't. Yeah. And that probably makes it slightly more galling. That is a that is a very good point. Uh, okay, a couple of quick ones to finish. Um, Go on. This one uh, comes from S.H. Harrington. Shush, shush, shush. What ridiculous football beliefs do you hold despite there being no evidence to back them up? Mine is that any combative central midfielder could easily fill in at fullback. For example, Lucas Torreira could solve our right-back crisis. I would buy that. And again, I've got no rationale for it, but I think Lucas Torreira, to me, he looks like he'd be an excellent fullback. Do you share that instinct? Mm, not, not really. Not really. But I can see some vague logic to it. To it, yeah. The, yeah. Some of the, well, I think central midfielders and fullbacks, you know, it's it's stamina, it's tackling ability, it's good technique in tight areas. Yeah. Um, what football beliefs do I have? Uh, what about, uh, I mean, I don't have it, but it's certainly one that a lot of people seem to have. Is central that midfielders as, central defenders as defensive midfielders? Exactly. Any yeah. central defender who shows a modicum of on-the-ball talent is immediately recast as the perfect answer to our defensive midfield problems. That might speak to... Um, some of the issues that we've had with wanting a defensive midfielder for many years. But that one does the rounds quite often, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think I, my current one, my sort of bee in my bonnet I have at the moment is that I, I can't get over how sort of random footballers careers are. You know, I, I can't get over how if a player makes a certain move at a certain time, they might end up having a career that sort of, you know, takes them around the top clubs, but if they don't, they end up sort of, you know, in the in the championship or something like that. I feel like there are gaps between players that are sometimes so fine, and they end up having really different careers. So, like, I believe there are probably players in like the lower reaches of the Premier League or or even in the Championship who, in like an alternative life, a parallel universe, are playing for like a Champions League club and are sort of doing fine. Well, like Nathan you know Ake. Like Nathan Ake, like Nathan Ake. Well, yeah, maybe that's my crazy football belief that Nathan Ake is a Champions League player. Yeah. Um, I tweeted, yeah, saying what about Nathan Ake for Arsenal and had a very... In fact, I did a poll. Shall we see what the people said? Oh, yes, please. Because yes. it's scientific. Once you've done a poll, then it's it's uh, based in science. And nobody can exactly. argue with science. No one can argue with science. So uh, the poll was, should basically, should we buy Nathan Ake? Um, and 66% of people said yes, 34% said no. Um, the people are with me. The people are with it's you. It's a sizable margin. Well, I mean, is he not going to play against us on Wednesday night? Yes, and I feel like I've done an excellent jinx here because, <laughs> it, you know, knowing me, he will be terrible on Wednesday and everyone will say, you are a fool for banging this drum. And uh, Arsenal will reap the benefits, so that's probably a good thing. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't think he's he's a bit mustafi for me. I know he's left-footed, but he's not big enough as a central. He isn't defender. very big. He's about not 5'11, very big. Five yeah. eleven. I, I think that really counts against him as well. If I was a football manager, I would no no central defender under six foot. Absolutely not. Get out, Cannavaro, get the fuck out of here. You're not playing at centre-half. You can't be any good. You're only five right. foot nine. Okay, you've right Cannavaro off. Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I th yeah, I mean, look, if we think of our best central defenders over the past 20 or 30 years, they have all been comfortably north of six foot, maybe with the exception of Kola Torre. 
That's um, true. Yeah. He is an exception. Yeah, I, I, to be fair, actually, I was saying, I sort of said, what about Nathan Ake? I didn't actually state my opinion on whether we should buy Oh, my, oh you're back No, I'm serious. Then. Because I think, uh, actually, the biggest obstacle would be price. You know, I think Premier League defender mm. looking at 30 million or something, you know, straight away. Um, and that's most of our transfer budget, isn't it? Yeah. Pretty much. So I choose the Spanish player I've never heard of, please. Yeah, I reckon that's who it's going to be as well. I reckon there's going to be a few of them. Yeah, you never know. All right, we'll see. Go on. I've got one more question. Okay. Uh, Where has it gone? I was really looking forward to it. Uh, Oh, yes. It comes from uh, Mbane. I think I'm pronouncing that right. And it's who's at MKJ Arsenal. And they ask... Would you rather be a normal person with Gendouzi's hair? A normal person with... Okay. Okay. Or have Javinho's hair, but be able to fly? Easy. Javinho's hair? Javinho's hair. For sure. I completely agree. I mean... To be fair, I'd I'd take Gendouzi's hair at this point as well. I'm not worried about that. You used to have it. You used to have Gendouzi's hair. I miss it every day, so Yeah. yeah. If anything, I want it back from him. You've been there and you've, you know, worn that particular um, uh, merkin on your head. But, yeah, Gervinho's Gervinho's hair is a small price to pay for flight. Well, here, here's the the other thing, right? One, you could (laughs) shave it off. Yeah. Right? Does that take away your ability to fly, though? I don't know, but you could just fly high enough that no one will ever see your hairline. You wear a hat. Oh, that's also an alternative idea, yeah. Just wear a hat. Just, you know, one of those kind of hipster woolly hats, you know, that they wear way back on their head. Sure, sure. Yeah. Like Freddie Umberg style crochet hat. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, I definitely have Gervinho's hair. And the ability to fly? Think of all the mischief you could get up to. Do you think if you could fly, do you know what I'd do? be a Go on. Premier League footballer? If you could fly... Yeah, I mean... Offside would be tricky. It They'd would. They'd struggle with VAR and stuff, trying to draw a line to a man 30 foot in the air. But imagine what you could do, like, um, from corners. Think about this <laughs> Unai Emery... Yeah, this Unai Emery short corner routine. You're just going to bang it 25 feet in the air, and all of a sudden you're up there and you can do an overhead kick. Because if you're, you know, if you can fly, you could practice your acrobatics... You could get the keeper taking the corners, just booting them up into the sky. Yeah. And then you've just really, really got to get your head over it to mm. get it down from 40 feet in the air. Yeah. I had a thought about the corners, by the way. You know, we had this chat about short corners, direct corners. Yeah. And how infuriating short corners are. Maybe this is a very banal, obvious point. I feel free to tell me if okay. it is. But I suddenly thought, is, is the sole purpose, sole purpose, is the main purpose of the short corners to bring some sense of variety so that the direct corners don't become so straightforward to defend against. Yeah, in some ways, yeah. And it's to try and bring men out of the box. Yeah. You know, so when you do get the ball in, the box is less crowded and and if you attack the ball well enough, then maybe you can have a chance. I mean, I get it. Um, they're just frustrating, aren't they, when, when they don't when they work? When they don't work. 
It yeah. is really frustrating. But, but, but I suppose what I was sort of getting at is maybe the ones that are direct, say, against Barté, worked in part because having done short corners, they then had to dispatch a man or two to the edge of the box against that possibility. And then when the ball comes in directly, the box is more clear. Yeah, yeah. What are Arsenal going to do? This is the question that defenders worry about. Defenders are they going to take everywhere. it short? Are they not going to take it short? Who knows? This is so confusing to us. Tactical genius is what it is, James. But do you know what? I was just going to say before we went um, oh. and called time on this. You know what else I would do if I could fly and I was a Premier League footballer? Uh, no, tell me. I'd shit in Ashley Young's mouth. Right. <laughs> Great. I mean, yeah, and you wouldn't be the first, but I think maybe the finest. Yeah. I Yeah, but you could do it from less height as well. You could just swoop in, drop it, and then disappear again. Yeah, like um, a fucking, what a, what a, like a bouncing bomb. Exactly. The ones that uh, went on water, yeah. Oh, should we say about the predictions? Oh, yes. Uh, a lot of people have asked us to do the predictions and, and whether or not we're going to finish in the top four. Um, and what it means is we're going to have to predict all the Arsenal fixtures, all the Manchester United fixtures and all the Chelsea fixtures. And maybe, depending on what happens on on Wednesday night, maybe also the Tottenham fixtures. So that would take a lot longer than normal or would take up most of a part of a show. So what we'll do after the Bournemouth game, when we can see where we are and there's 10 games left to go, we'll record an extra podcast on Thursday and we will stick it out. We'll do it on Patreon. No, we'll do it. We'll do it for everyone. Everyone can have it. And we'll do that on Thursday and we'll do the predictions and see where it is where we're going to end up. More science, James. More scientific method on this on this podcast. So, Wow. We're going to have to do sums correctly. Correct. I'm nervous, Andrew. I'll be honest with you. I too am nervous. Okay. Well, that will be available for people on Thursday. If you do want to sign up to our Patreon, that would be great. Patreon.com forward slash arsblog. We are, or I am today, because lots of people have asked, and it is uh, in some ways uh, in relation to the uh, the Arsenal Vision podcast who, lo- who launched a, a Discord chat server. Uh, lots of the people on Arsblog have been asking me if we can do a Discord thing. So I'll set that up today. So if you're an Arsblog member on Patreon, I don't know what happens. Maybe you get an invite or maybe you have to twiddle some zebels yourself to, to join. But there will be an Arsblog Discord server. So patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. Five or a month plus VAT if you're in the EU. Uh, and you get lots of extra content and articles and it helps support everything that we do. Uh, worth pointing out as well that, James, on Wednesday, Arsblog will be 17 years old. 17. Wow. That's mental, isn't it? There are footballers who are... 17? Yeah. yeah. Scary. Are we older than Emile Smith-Rowe? Probably not, but, you know... We're not, but we're not. Arsblog is not much older than... Uh, not much younger than Saka, I would think. Right. I don't know. There you go. Scary. There you go, 17 years. Blimey. Anyway, we'll have that extra podcast for you on Thursday. Uh, we'll do the predictions and we'll have a regular Arsecast for you on Friday uh, as well because we've got the Bournemouth game to react to and also look ahead to the North London Derby on Saturday. So lots going on. Busy week. Thanks as always for being with us and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 